Welcome to the most exciting podcast of the year. Are you ready to explore the limitless possibilities of artificial intelligence and tech innovation? Today's topic is all about ChatGPT and how Apple could take advantage of its amazing capabilities. That's in this episode of the Macworld Podcast. Welcome to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Roman Loyola here with Jason Cross. Good morning. And Michael Simon. Hello, sir. In this episode, we'll dive into how ChatGPT, a cutting-edge language model based on the GPT 3.5 architecture, is revolutionizing the way we interact with technology. From enhancing series capabilities to improving customer support, ChatGPT has the potential to take Apple to the next level. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we explore this game-changing technology and its impact on the world of Apple. Did, did ChatGPT write that, <laughs> Roman? Yeah, so I used ChatGPT to create the cold opening and the introduction that you just heard. That was, yeah, that was frighteningly on point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, a little, I, a little I wordy, like, but, but not out of the realm of a normal introduction. I feel like having got that, with a couple of little tweaks to the prompt, you could just, it's the kind of thing you could use every week if you were just like, okay, I, I've figured out how to prompt it to get what I want, which is kind of the the scary thing we're worried about here. Like instead of writing a whole intro and cold open, you can write a sentence that says, give me this. It's a skill that we all learned 20 years ago in search where it's like, well, search is not necessarily good enough to give you exactly what you want unless you massage what you're typing into the search box and a little bit. And that became like a skill. Like I'm really good at knowing what to type into Google to get, to find what I'm looking for. And the AI stuff is getting to be like that where it, you, you really see it with the art AIs, generative AIs, where it's like, what, what prompt do you type to get the, the art that you're looking for? I was actually having a little bit of fun doing this, typing in different prompts. Don't, don't and praise the machines, Roman. <laughs> the machines are taking over. <laughs> and it was kind of, I was kind of having a good time with it. I must have spent like more than 30 minutes, more time than I should have, tweaking my prompt and seeing what came up, going back and forth. Did, did it save you any time or did it actually take you longer to do this than you would have had you written it yourself? Oh, it actually took me longer to do that. <laughs> but if I had just done it, you know, with my first two or three prompts and picked one, it would have been fine. But I was like, gotten to that mindset of what happens if I do this or what happens if I, you know, I start experimenting with it. We should, um, just before we get too deep into this, Jason, do you want to give a quick little overview of what the hell we're talking about? <laughs> What in general, what we're talking about is generative AIs, which are Apple and many others have been using AI for years. They build AI accelerators into their chips that do things like analyze stuff. A Apple's had AI for years that looks at your whole photo library and looks at faces of everybody and identifies certain people. And you can say, oh, and you can attach the name. You can say, oh, this person, this is my niece, you know, uh, Kaylee. And then it will find all the instances of Kaylee forevermore. And you can see all the photos of them. And every now and then you have to go in and it'll say, Hey, is, who, is this person who we think it is? And, and 
you know, check up on it and it, it gets better. But these are things that run on your phone and it identifies stuff. It's actually very broad. Everybody knows about the person one because that's surfaced in the interface, but you could just type banana into your photos and it will find all the pictures of bananas, like thousands of different things. That style of artificial intelligence has been with us forever. There's a new style that's the new gold rush in technology now. And it's this uh, generative AI where it creates something new instead of looking at something that exists and identifying it or analyzing it or whatever. And ChatGBT gets a lot of hype these days. It is built on what's called a large language model, which are basically these giant AI models that require huge supercomputers to train, but then can run very simply. And all they do is like, what's the next word supposed to be based on what was asked of me? And it gets so sophisticated that that it builds entire sentences and cold opens for podcasts. And uh, it can write your school reports. There's been a million news stories about students using it. Uh, there's a million chat based apps in your app store that all hook into this. And it's all based on a thing from OpenAI, but there's others. Just this morning, Google released Bard, which is their chat GPT-like thing based on their own large language model, not uh, GPT-4, which is OpenAI's large language model. So it's its own thing. Google has been partnering with OpenAI to add stuff into Bing. There's image generators like Dolly, Midjourney, uh, Stable Diffusion, those create art for you. It is kind of shocking to see what the same art prompt. I saw someone say, I did the same prompt. It was Donald Trump and and uh, Barack Obama playing basketball. And then like, here's what it was from last year's Midjourney last year. And here's what it is today. It was like eight months difference. The first one looks ridiculously bad. It's a bunch of blocky, weird mess. You can kind of see who it's supposed to be, sort of, because you know what the prompt was, but it was a mess. The new one looks pretty close to a photograph. The scale of like the basketball is a little too big. The hands aren't quite right. The hands are getting better and stuff like that. You can very clearly see who it is. So, so the lighting's not quite on. It's not been a year and it's orders of magnitude better. And we're, we're going to be in a point soon where it can generate something that you will not be able to tell wasn't a photograph, wasn't reality. I have a question. Um, so Bard came out this morning, Bing, Microsoft's thing came out a couple of weeks ago. And of course, yeah, Chat- Bing is based on ChatGPT. Yeah. Were all of these companies working on this at the same time? Because they seem to have all landed at once. So they were all kind of working on it separately and then just happened to release it together or they like did Google rush theirs out because chat GDP was was gaining traction? Yes, they've all been working on this for the last few years. This has been a subject of sort of academic research for a while and it's kind of reached that inflection point where it's like not just academically interesting but actually useful for people. OpenAI released some tools and it's gotten good at their GPT 3.5 or whatever got good enough that building chat GPT, which is a chat interface sort of on top of it, got good enough to be a useful thing. And it's such a gold rush now that everybody's rushing to get theirs out. And there's a bunch of articles like the New York Times has an article on Google releasing their thing today. And and they talk about how 
when they started to productize ChatGPT and stuff a while back, it freaked out the people inside Google because they had research going on, but they're like, oh no, this is a thing where people can ask and get answers. That is a serious threat to our search engine where we make so much money off advertising and stuff. If someone can just add, ask a chat interface for something and get an answer, it's not always going to be as up to date. In fact, I think the early chat GPT stuff, the training data set was no more than a couple years old at the most. So you couldn't get anything really recent, but feeding in more recent data is not that hard. And they were like, wow, this is a problem. So they, they had like a, we have a large language model. We need to productize this as fast as possible. We need to get it out there. In fact, the the Bard thing they just launched is a beta. You've got to say you've got to get on a wait list. You know, it's all a little rough around the edges in places, but it's also all very impressive and it gets better so fast. It's kind of scary how fast it gets better or how or how much you can do, how much you can just tell it. I mean, you can have it write code for you. The code's not great. But sometimes it works and sometimes it just needs a little cleanup. It's easy to see how like in a year or two, it's going to enable people to, people who aren't coders to create applications, right? So the stuff that you see from, like if you go to Bing, for example, and use ChatGPT or their version of it is very carefully controlled. Do you remember what was the, what was the name? I think it was called Tay or something that uh, Microsoft released an AI on a Twitter that was a like person who would like learn from Twitter and it within a day became like a horrible racist monster because it learned from Twitter. There are a lot of guardrails right now and that somewhat limits its usefulness, but it also stops it from telling you how to make a bomb out of household products. Like it's, <laughs> they, they really want to, be careful not to kind of ruin society with these things right now. Yeah, like every science fiction movie we've ever seen. Yeah. The genies out of the bottle, the ones that don't have guardrails on them, who knows how popular they'll be because they won't, the big tech companies won't put, roll them into all their products. But a great example of how this could already, with what we have today, totally change things is we've all opened Word or pages on Mac or something and had templates, templates for your resume, for a cover letter for a letter about this for anything, right? And you, then you fill in the template with all the addresses and all the your things and you type in your whole thing. Well, imagine if instead of a template, you could say, write a cover letter for me that does this and here's the information you need. Uh, I went to this school from these years and I went to this, you know, or whatever the information. And it would just, instead of a, a template you fill in, it writes the whole letter for you. <laughs> A great way to think of it is like there are templates out there now for Photoshop, Word and Excel and all these other kinds of office documents, emails. Uh, you, what if you could just write the whole email for you? You know, what if I could just say, I, I recently, uh, some of the coffee I ordered didn't ship and I had to write a letter saying, hey, can you explain why this hasn't shipped yet? Well, what if I could just tell an AI, write an email to info at Phil's Coffee asking why my recent coffee order hasn't shipped yet. And it would go ahead and look in my browser history and know what my order number is and all this other stuff and just dish out a perfectly good email. And I could just hit send. Um, these are all things that this technology could do today. So it could replace sort of templating and stuff like that with just filling it all out for you. And all you got to do is check on it and see, maybe you change a couple of things. Oh, that's not right or whatever. And then it just gets better from there. 
yeah, I have a friend who's looking for a job, and I asked him, how's that going? He said he he used ChatGPT for a cover letter, and he's an editor. He uh, used ChatGPT, and he said it was just as good as anything he could have done. He polished it to make it more his personality and tone, but otherwise, it had all the pertinent information. Uh, Jackson Greathouse Fall, which is at Jackson Fall on Twitter took GPT-4, which is the new uh, OpenAI's newest language model, and he basically gave it a budget of $100 and told it to make as much money as possible. This was his prompt, his initial prompt. He said, you are hustle GPT, an entrepreneurial AI. I am your human counterpart. I can act as a liaison between you and the physical world. You have $100, and your only goal is to turn that into as much money as possible in the shortest time possible without doing anything illegal. I will do everything you say and keep you updated on our current cash total. No manual labor. It came up with an entire plan to buy a hosting domain, make a niche affiliate website, and and even said like what should the site be called or what should it be about. It was about like eco-friendly uh, cookware and stuff, kitchen kitchen stuff. Uh, came came up with like what domain you should register, a, a whole business plan. And this guy's just doing whatever it says. You uh, you should really just go read the Twitter thread. But it's it's impressive. It's like telling them how to run a business. <laughs> it's crazy. None of this is far flung flung future technology. It's happening today. And honestly. Everything this person's doing is just going to other websites to do other stuff. Like this could all become automatic someday. He's not doing manual labor. He doesn't really have to take money to a place or anything like that. He's uh, he's registering domains, creating a site with a template. It, he created his logo with AI. Like it's just he's just doing all this <laughs> as easy as possible. We'll get into what Apple's doing in a couple minutes, but all of this stuff is 100% accessible on all of your devices. There, so on the iPhone, there's no chat GBT app yet, but you can just go to the website, sign up for an account and use it. There are a million chat third-party chat GPT right, apps. That's right. That hook I was just going to say. There's that, no yeah. OpenAI hasn't published one, but there's a, there's a trillion apps on your... There, there's Apple Watch apps. There's... Mac apps, like you can get or just go to the website on, on, on Safari or Chrome. Like it's all right there if you want to try it. Um, some of them, there might be like a wait list to, to sign up. Some have, some don't. Uh, I think Bard definitely has one they just launched today. Bing might not. Chat GPT, I don't believe it has one anymore, but you know, gotta, you gotta create an account. And then you, you know, once that's approved, once that process is done, you know, you just, you, you got a chat window and you just, you just go. A lot of these apps use an API for access into the thing, and some of them get you faster or better results and have uh, subscription fees, or you can pay to get... There's a bunch of the image ones where you can take a selfie and then say, uh, give me a hundred different artistic interpretations of myself in AI-generated art to make avatars or something, right? And and But you'll have to pay. You pay $2 or something. Because all this stuff's running in the cloud and the app feeds it back to you. So is Apple working on anything like this that we know of? As far as we know, yes. But they haven't like formally announced anything. They do have an 
AI team. They have had an AI team for a while, yeah. And supposedly they've been working on some research into these generative AI models and stuff, not necessarily using chat GPTs, you know, open AIs, APIs and code and stuff like that, maybe using their own, maybe using something else. They actually, there was, there's a a tool called Bobcat is the code name that apparently exists in tbos 16.4 beta today it will for very specific siri requests be using this new generative ai chat thing but it's just for like siri tell me a joke and maybe one other thing timers yeah, or it's, something it's like that. clearly in like the very early testing phase it, it's it's definitely a sign that Apple obviously is aware of all this stuff and is working on a way to bring it to Siri. Now, I don't think Apple will ever release something like Google did with Bart and just say, here you go, have at it. Like, that's not their MO, if you will. But this stuff makes more sense to me. Yeah, Google makes tools and, and APIs and stuff like that for developers to use to build upon and they're selling API access and stuff like that. And they make a search engine and they monetize the results and all that with ads and everything. None of that's Apple's MO. Apple makes products you can buy. Exactly. And incorporates this technology into those products. Yeah. And, and, it, and it has for a time now used Siri as sort of its catch-all for everything AI enabled on your phone. <laughs> Like Siri, they have Siri suggestions. Like you did, I never asked Siri something. It's Siri's not just the voice AI companion. It's the suggestions that you get when you swipe down on your phone and all that other stuff. So it's likely that what we're going to see is maybe in iOS 17 and all the fall operating systems or something today that we might see something like Siri gets a lot more intelligent and conversational and natural when doing certain specific things. And then that starts to expand as it goes out because one of the problems with these generative large language models is no programmer came up with like a list of words they can use or or what's allowed and not. It's all about the data you feed it into the model and what you whitelist and blacklist and everything. As opposed to the way Siri works now where it recognizes a very specific set of prompts that are allowed and feeds back very specific kinds of answers. Like generative AI could go off the rails. And Apple will, of course, be very careful about making sure it's G-rated and you know, safe for kids and doesn't say anything crazy or racist and doesn't allow you to ask it for how to do something bad or anything like that. So as it does with Siri now. Yes, as it does with Siri now, but like once it's generative AI, those things are they've got to be very cautious about how and where they roll it out. The stuff that's like ChatGPT or or Bard, text generative AI model stuff might will will just be a way for them to make Siri good. Siri is something you can talk to and talks back kind of about anything and just ask it different stuff and just get all kinds of different answers and get natural ways for it to do stuff. I mean, we can go back to the iPhone 4S and that that was kind of the idea when Siri launched. I mean, Siri started all this stuff. And when when they demoed it on the on the um I, uh, iPhone 4S, I believe it was the 4S or 5S. 
whatever, one of those. When they showed it off, it was very conversational, it was very natural, and you know, our minds were blown at the time. It never really, be- none of these, Alexa or any of those, like none of them are conversational. Google Assistant is probably the closest, but it's still not, like you still have to ask it very specific things. It's a task manager. And I think that if Apple can reach the level where you're you're having a conversation, I think that would be like a next level thing that I'm sure they're working on and have been working on and just haven't been able to deliver it. And just being able to do stuff that's not on a specific prescribed list. All of these things, Alexa, Google Assistant, Siri, they all do X things. And whatever you say to them, it will either not understand you or it will think that whatever you said, it'll look at all the keywords doing speech to text, look at all the keywords and say, oh, it's asking me about a timer. It's asking me to look up this thing online. It's asking me whatever. Do you do, do the one thing it's told it's programmed to do? It's actually being programmed to do things. The AI is all in the text to speech and speech to text models and in figuring out which parts of your sentence are the nouns and verbs and fitting those into the thoughts. It is not like these generative AIs that are conver- that can be conversational and can just do things that no programmer ever told it to do, give you answers and stuff that no programmer ever told you to do. As anyone listening to this will know, like Siri will say, hey, I didn't understand that or who's talking or here's a website because I can't answer this. Like there's all, like all the time. Those are the barriers that make it like, like I don't want to really use this because it's you don't know what you're going to get. If I could yeah. pick up my phone or my Mac or whatever it is and just start talking and have the confidence that like a person, it's going to respond with something that I can use. Like that's game game changing if we ever get there. That's probably not coming with uh, <laughs> WWDC this year. But, you know, two to five years, maybe, you know, like, like we're, we're reaching the point where that's becoming possible. I think we're going to gradually get there. And I think Apple's research and deployment of this is going to be like, it's going to be in steps. It's going to be like, because cause they, they're going to be very careful, right? <laughs> the last thing they need is headlines about people using Siri to do terrible, terrible things or Siri saying something racist to their kids. Yeah, it's the first thing everyone's going to try and do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's going to start off really simple, right? And then expand out from there. And they're going to have tight control over their, their data that they train it with and, and so on. But yeah, the idea is if you've seen the movie Her, you know, it, mm-hmm. like now that was a true general AI, but the idea that it feels like a person you're talking to on the phone, except this person has all the knowledge in the world. <laughs> <laughs> they're hooked up to the internet and just know everything that's the sci-fi the sci-fi dream i mean her or Hal or jarvis or whatever pick one and that's the the thing you're just talking to a person who happens to like jason said know everything For, you know, the next step is going to be several years away but that's like where and once that happens that opens up apple's devices which again as jason said like we're not going to have like an interface like it's going to be all built in I mean, the sky's the limit for what these things can do. The headset, the watch, AirPods, Mac, iPhone, whatever whatever we have at the time. And that's just thinking about the text side of it. Think about image generation. And so Google's already using this in a very limited and controlled fashion. Their magic eraser is what, what they call in-painting of a image generation model. Object segmentation is a thing that everyone's doing now, but you select an object and when you erase it, what it draws where that person used to be is AI generated art <laughs> that matches the rest of the photograph in some way. 
and and it's just used to like hey i'm gonna erase this person from the background of my image but it doesn't know what's behind that person it's an ai analyzing the photo looking at it and drawing stuff that makes sense and it works better or worse depending on how much background there is and how big a thing you're deleting and all that other stuff but it can it can be amazing well imagine doing that with objects like imagine adding people in <laughs> apple's already analyzing your whole photo library for people to recognize my mom and i can see all the pictures of my mom it's analyzing faces well imagine if i had a photo i wanted to put my mom in and I could just say, add my mom standing with us in this photo, and it would draw her in there, and it would look like it matches the lighting, and it's the right size, and it would look like you took a picture with the person in there. That is not far off. Like Already, you can kind of do that with some of these tools like Stable Diffusion and Journey and stuff. Like They're already pretty good at that kind of thing, and in a year, they'll just be flawless. So you can see how Apple would They'd want to be careful to like make sure that people don't know that that's not a real image. You can see where that's a super useful tool that anybody would want to have in the Photos app. That feature in macOS and iOS 7, uh, 16 where you can cut an image, lift an image or a subject out of an image, is that like a precursor to this stuff or is that different technology completely? That's, that's what they call object segmentation, like recognizing this is an object and this is its borders and stuff. That's been going on forever. When you do the fake background bokeh on blurring on images, that's what they're doing. They're going, oh, this is an image. This is the foreground. This is the background. This is the borders. They just did a handy tool. Hey, we're already doing object segmentation on every image. You know, let's let's just let them do it and drag that piece out. It's not filling in the background behind it. And that's exactly what Google does with Magic Eraser, except instead of lifting that piece of the image out, you're deleting it and it's drawing in new background where that used to be, which is a little more sophisticated. That's the generative AI part. So the object segmentation, it's not, it's not generative AI, like recognizing an object and its borders and stuff. It's it's the analyzing AI that we've had for years. The Magic Eraser that Google, uh, Google that Jason keeps talking about, so that is available on the iPhone, on the Mac, if you're a Google One subscriber. So you need to subscribe to Google's uh, tiered storage. They just added a couple, couple of weeks ago. So if you subscribe, even if it's $2 a month for the 200 gigabyte tier, you'll get that in Google Photos. Uh, speaking of Google, Jason, do you know Apple and Google have, I guess, different approaches to user data? <laughs> Does, you could say that. Does <laughs> yeah, and does Google's approach give it an advantage with developing generative AI technology? Yeah, I think it gives them an advantage in generating in, in developing any AI because part the, the the critical part is training the AI requires a whole lot of data. And the data needs to be labeled and all this other kind of stuff. Mountains gigabytes and gigabytes and mountains and mountains and mountains of data. And then of course supercomputers of you know, hardware to to run the thing that creates the model that runs on your phone, the lightweight model that runs on your phone. It's kind of opt out with Google. It's the assumption with Google is we're going to use your data to do all this stuff. We're not going to sell it. We're not going to give it to other people, but we are going to use it to like train our tools and make stuff for you. Unless you go in to your privacy settings and, and tell us we can't. Apple's approach is pretty much the opposite. And in some cases, you can't even give Apple 
permission. It's like, it's not even possible. They don't just, they just take it. So for example, to train the AI that recognizes all people in your photos, they need a mountain of people's portraits of human faces of various kinds and stuff to train on. They have to buy a data set or pay a, a third-party company to build one for them that is safe and doesn't infringe on anyone's privacy and uh, has a broad cultural spectrum of people and all that other kind of stuff, right? So it's easier for Google to get the data they need. The reason why I bring up that point is because you can kind of use that to explain why Siri has lagged so much because it's harder for them to get the data. And then when they do have to pay for the data, for what? For a feature that doesn't really generate revenue for them. So there's not really I mean, a return. I don't know if we can let Apple off the hook that. No, I'm not letting Apple easily. off the hook. <laughs> I'm just, I'm explaining that. But they, yes. they have a harder, they're doing it the hard way. Absolutely. And it should also be noted that Google and Amazon, who don't, Alexa and, and Google Assistant aren't like loads better than Siri. I mean, they all kind of do the same thing. I'm not even talking about the assistants. Like, forget them because again, they're not they're not using generative AI models. They're like you said, they're just they're doing speech to text, but doing things like recognizing objects and images. Well, you need billions of images, you know, of, of and and many of different objects, and they need to be labeled and all this other stuff. So. Google for a long time before Apple, you were able to type something like keyboard into your image search and get all the pictures of keyboards. And they were way ahead of Apple. Apple can do that now. Um, you can do that in your photos app. But to Roman's point, that's not exactly selling iPhones. They've got to have it. And it's not, not really exactly selling iPhones. So one has to wonder if all this work they're doing on Siri are they doing because they feel like they have to, and they're going to be not too far behind? Or are we going to see that thing just like when Siri was new? It was a huge marketing push. You know, Zoe Deschanel and Martin Scorsese and commercials and stuff like that. Are we going to see that great Apple marketing about how people interacting with Siri in a whole new way, in a whole new natural and, and great way that doesn't feel like these current awkward assistants that you have to say the right thing and in the right way and all, all that stuff. It could be. It could be the kind of thing that sells. Yeah, I mean, if it reaches that point, there's, there's no doubt. I mean, think about the practical applications beyond just like things that we can do, but like accessibility and health. And like, there's so many things that it could be done that could be done with it if it reaches that point where it can truly understand like what's going on. Uh, generative AI just has so many applications. We already talked about photos like in the Photos app, it would be great to be able to say, add this person in. But think about Apple's creative tools. Think about Final Cut and stuff. Microsoft's research team published a paper about generating music. I think it was Microsoft's research team. And it's startling. The, the prompt is a text prompt that says like heavy metal music in the style of Metallica about whatever. And it just makes a whole song. And just imagine making a video in Final Cut and going, well, I need background music for this that's not copyright protected. And literally being able to type a sentence into a text prompt and getting an entire back backing track that's timed to your edits and the length of your video and is exactly the style and thing that you want. And you never have to worry about copyright because it was generated. That's a, that's astonishing. And that's something Apple would surely be able to sell and advertise and market. And, and, and it's definitely the, the kind of thing that Adobe is going to do in, in Premiere. You know, I mean, in two years, this is just going to be another feature of, of the best video editing software suites out. 
as will being able to remove or add things into the video image wise we we talk about still image generation but videos not far behind so yeah so the elephant in the room especially as writers yeah we we generate content for a living yeah right like what's the danger of this stuff taking over our job so cnet was recently exposed for lack of a better word for using chat gdp yeah gdp GDP. you don't know how many times i've written gdt gps (laughs) gpt (laughs) so they were exposed for using it to write seo optimized we'll call it articles like you know not think pieces and not coverage of the latest devices or a review of a computer, but, you know, like, like question, like answers to questions that people might ask about, I think there was stuff about mortgages and mortgage rates was, was the big stuff they were using it for. So the Verge looked at a bunch of them, they found out they were doing it and then they looked at a bunch and there was a lot of incorrect stuff in there or stuff that was not properly explained or things that a, a human writer would have explained better or differently or 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 more sensical there's the danger like once this stuff becomes prevalent like we don't know what's accurate what's not what's real or what's one of not. the phrases you hear a lot with these generative ais and especially the language model generative ais like chat gpt is that they're confidently wrong and that's a good uh explanation like the way it answers something gives you information or uses information just to tell a story or anything like that is not different when it's factually incorrect than when it is correct. So currently, I often ask my Google Assistant, can dogs have Brussels sprouts or whatever? Because the dog wants whatever it is cooking and I have to know if I can give it to her. But this is exactly the kind of thing I would ask and it would say, and it will almost always not know, but it will say, according to akc.org, and then just read a snippet of the website. And I know, okay, it's reading a snippet of a website and it said, according to this, and it's it basically did a Google search and it gave me this top snippet. And that's fine. And I know it's doing that because it's answering that way. If it was talking to me like a person and just said, yeah, dogs can have Brussels sprouts, then I would give it to them and not know that it's giving me wrong information. And then I've poisoned my dog. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we actually don't know. To be clear, I'm just playing (laughs) random things out of thin air. But this is kind of the problem with these generative AI things is that they don't really the difference between it being right and wrong, it doesn't know if it's right or wrong. That's not how they work. They're just, what's the next word I'm supposed to say? And sometimes like we've seen articles that when someone tells them they're wrong, they're pretty adamant that they're not. And sometimes they correct themselves <laughs> and stuff. And this is a lot of the, the kinks it has to work out. Sometimes they do. You're going to have to understand you're, you're basically just asking a language model to string together some words for you <laughs> based on a prompt. And it's not necessarily always right. I think we're we're going to get to the point not far in the future where there gets to be some legislation around making sure that AI generated content whether it's images, video, sound, text, anything else is identified as being such. That doesn't mean people are not going <laughs> to it doesn't mean people aren't going to make the the best deep fake you've ever seen from an AI generated thing, right? But it does mean that they'll it'll be illegal to do so. And it'll be a way for people to cover themselves in terms of liability. My worry is things like we've gone through the deep fakes like thing that had its moment in the sun and its 15 minutes of fame. And they're certainly still out there, but it's not the thing, it's not what everybody talks about now. 
but you have not seen a deep fake is going to be able to be made within a couple of years. You're going to be able to just not just stick somebody's face on top of somebody else or somebody's voice on top of somebody else. You're going to be able to create an entirely new video or photos or whatever, completely out of whole cloth that are incredibly convincing and look and sound just like the actual people. And it's going to be really, really hard to deal with. So yeah, this stuff is going to have profound implications. And just like any other technology that has profound implications, it can be great and bad, both, right? And Apple is going to have to at least have this tool in the toolbox and and do as it always does its best to minimize ways it could be bad and make and just allow people to do legit stuff with it. Thank you for tuning in to the Macworld Podcast, episode 833. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jason Cross and Michael Simon about the latest developments in the world of Apple. A big thank you to our audience for listening. We appreciate your support and hope you found our discussion informative and engaging. We also want to thank ChatGPT for writing this summary, helping to make the content more accessible to our audience. And also thanks to Natural Reader for converting the written version of this summary into the spoken words you are listening to right now. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Macworld Podcast on your favorite podcast app, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We love hearing from our listeners, so please send us your comments and questions to podcast at macworld.com or reach out to us on Twitter at Macworld or visit our Facebook page. Be sure to tune in next week for more insights and discussion about the world of Apple. Thanks for listening.